0: What page are we on? And what page are we on?
1: One oh eight, based Thank on mine. Is it um, correct for everyone?
0: Is this is this the page? Yes. And what's the How's the size of the type? Perfect. Yes. Great.
2: Okay, so
1: Ellen. Uh Kim, are you using that name or your real
0: name? <laughs> um I don't know what name I'm using.
1: You're using a pomada Night Oh I'm Kim. Oh okay. So then Ellen, oh, can you stop?
0: Okay. I see what you, you
3: are, are. muted, Ellen. Thank you. Everyone is practicing. A lot of people do something called meditating. Meditation can mean 300 things, but we have to understand what the process really is or else we won't have the courage to truly do it, to make our way back to that place where we don't want to be. Everyone is practicing. It doesn't have to look like sitting. There's no difference between sitting and scrubbing the kitchen floor. I mean, if you truly scrub the kitchen floor, that's being in the moment with what's there. So we're just talking about finding some way of bringing yourself back into the present moment. Sitting isn't just sitting. Sitting is every moment of your day.
4: Sometimes we don't want to sit because there is a lot to feel. And if we don't sit, we think we won't have to feel it. But it's the practice of returning to sit, whether we feel like it or not, that builds the container that can hold all that we are experiencing. Sitting is your best friend. You don't want to look at yourself. Maybe you think you're just horrible. But your best friend is running around with a mirror and saying, here, look, here, look. And of course, as fast as your friend comes after you, what do you do? You run away. Then he's after you some more. Of course, we want to avoid the whole thing. The core beliefs whole project is to try and look good and to avoid anything that threatens it.
5: If you don't want to sit, walk to the place where you're supposed to sit and just stand there and see all the thoughts that run through your head and feel all the body sensations. Then if you still don't want to sit, don't do it that day, but at least continue to approach your sitting spot day after day. Don't avoid the place, and eventually maybe you will just get tired and sit down. Concentration allows you to show up. Sometimes when we notice we're resisting sitting, it helps to start with concentration. That means to count your breaths or work on something like the koan mu or a mantra if you know one. All of these are uh, concentrative practices because they shut out the world and help pull you into a steadiness if you find
0: yourself in a moment of sitting that feels particularly difficult or one where you just can't settle down count your breath try to count to 10 <coughs> with your breath without losing focus most of us simply can't do it if you think you can count to 10 you're fooling yourself it means you're not abs- maintaining that absolute sharp concentration that will show you that the mind wanders to think and wonder. That the mind wants to think and wonder. It's not bad that your mind thinks and wonders, <coughs> but it's good to be able to notice that. To get to three is a pretty high number if you're really doing this practice. Isn't that amazing that um, this is so difficult?
2: Yes, seems like I
0: all mean, oh, of those things that if you told someone, oh, count ten, your breath to 10, they would say, you know, and you'll give them a million dollars, they would say, sure, I can do that. But maybe they can't. Okay.
1: Yeah, actually, I try it like when we just say it, I mean, like we, when we just count it without really focusing, like really concentration, like she said. Like we can go through it without like uh, recognize any thoughts. But when we really focus, we will see the thought coming immediately after the first count. Yeah,
4: you know, it's that I once uh, tried a Lock Kelly um, exercise of counting to 100. That was the challenge to count to 100 while you're sitting in meditation and not lose track of where you were. And I could do it. But the whole time my mind was off over here, but it was like I was multitasking. You know? Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like I, I was, I, I never lost track of my uh, breath count, never lost track, but my mind was everywhere, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we can cheat and do it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I felt that was pretty amazing. I was thinking, oh, look at that. I can do.
2: Two things at once. You. <laughs> Milan, you want to read? I'm not sure if she's here.
6: Yes, is um uh, is in it counting to read. But I was taught by my teacher was I'm sorry. That- oh. oh
2: is that whose voice that? Glenn, you are muted. Did you say something?
6: I'm sorry. Yes, it was my computer. I pressed. Oh, oh your
1: computer. I thought someone. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um,
6: <laughs> I, I will continue reading. Uh, it's
1: yeah, counting the breath, please.
6: It is continuing to breath for the first.
2: No, uh, the last part
1: counting minutes
6: the- of sitting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Is there? Yes, it's there.
3: We can't hear you. No, we hear you. Yes.
1: Okay, okay, then let me continue. Counting the breath for the first few minutes of sitting can be useful in a challenging moment of practice, but counting can't be our whole sitting practice because it lacks the acute awareness of everything. We're trying to build up our acute awareness of mind and body, and having a specific focus on counting, while useful, can also keep us from fully noticing what else is going on inside, if carried on for too long. Concentration allows you to show up wherever you are. It gives you the ability to be aware we can't be aware if we are also doing something else. This is uh, why I talked so much about the core belief, the psychological and emotional part of practice. We spend most of our lives thinking, we're doing something called living or practice. But what we're really doing is devoting ourselves to our core belief. The same me rosy said to a student once criticized the fact that there was a Buddha on the altar that people bowed down to. The student thought it indicated a false a false belief. Roshi replied, I don't worry too much about the Buddha on the Alpha. On the altar. What I worry about is that false Buddha within yourself that you bowed down to. He was talking about the core belief we each have that we seem to hold scare.
3: We,
1: that we seem to hold sacred.
3: Um, is it my turn, I guess? Yes, your turn, please. Um, we can't separate our body and our self. There is no difference between the two. The way our body is, so is our self. When you sit and feel the body as part of your practice, you're developing the capability of sitting with major trauma. How we sit can either help or hinder our healing. Sitting is a set of conditions that we agree to because they serve us. They make us more awake. The point of good posture isn't so we can look fancy. It's so we can be erect and balanced and and be a container for all that goes on while we sit. Our tendency is to cover our life. When we sit, we do this by slumping. Sometimes imperceptibly, and sometimes a lot, we slump.
4: A slump is the psychological manifestation of our core belief. We sit up straight because we can't really maintain this same depth of attachment to the core belief when we're not holding the psychological manifestation of it. And one of the ways that we just persist in maintaining this core belief is to slump. We don't want to move up and out of our slumped posture, even though it's holding us in misery. Slumping is another way of avoiding the mirror our friend is holding up. The mirror is just saying, wake up, stay awake, stay awake. It's not saying be a certain way.
5: Sorry the dignity of stillness when you sit try to sit still i don't mean just to sit still enough that no one can tell you're not sitting still i don't i don't mean wiggle your toes in such a way that no one else can tell i mean it is important to really sit still without tension or rigidity just be still when you do this, you create a container for yourself in which every movement of the mind and body becomes obvious. This extreme state of quiet is like polishing the mirror so that you can see the most clearly.
0: Uh, Nancy, pain, do you want to turn on the live the transcript?
2: Oh, sure. Thank you.
5: If you're in pain, by all means, move. Moderate discomfort is your friend because it keeps you awake. But if it becomes painful, just quietly and slowly move to a different position. Just do your best, that's all. Some of us have more physical problems than others. That's quite fine. If you need to, you can meditate flat on your back. Sitting is not an endurance contest. You don't win brownie points for sitting in some rigid, perfect way. Sit in a way that serves you. But find a position where you can rest in the dignity of stillness.
0: A good practice destroys itself. The discipline and structure of a sitting practice allows us to sit with the dignity of stillness. We wanna think about something. We wanna go back to our strategies. (coughs) Just being in the stillness and the quiet, just doing that may be one of the hardest things we've ever done. Sitting is not some cut and dry procedure. We hardly know what we're doing when we're sitting, yet all sorts of things appear, little wisps of this and little wisps of that, odd bits float by. Sometimes it feels like confusion and sometimes it doesn't. All of that is part of the exploratory opening up process and it's all valuable. Eventually we begin to sense what all this is.
1: When we see everything comes up, Sooner or later, if you see there's nothing about your life that doesn't show up somewhere. I don't think we ever bypass anything. I'm talking about these long periods in practice when, in a way, you're just practicing. You think nothing's happening, but you grow stronger. At first, you like a, swim, a swimmer who starts with swimming one length up the pool and feels exhausted. But an accomplished swimmer just goes back and forth, back and forth. Your muscles grow. When we sit like that every day, when life begins to heat hard, then we have some strength. We know what to do.
3: Anything can be both the mirror and the avoidance of the mirror. We can misuse anything. We can misuse erect posture. We can misuse slumping. We can even misuse stillness if we are focused too deeply on absolute stillness such that, such that we don't have to notice anything else. But sitting still with erect posture is one of the things that that's helped me be the, mo- be the most aware of my core belief and how it shows up in my body. So bring a mirror to your sitting practice.
4: practice if you get right down to it is very self-centered we want to get somewhere a good practice if you keep doing it with any awareness at all is self-serving but when you do it something else happens it begins to eat up the illusions that are making you do it a really good practice destroys itself
2: <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
2: oh. <laughs> great <laughs> nope.
5: The way things should be. Our claim to our own bodies and our world is our catastrophe. W.H. Auden and Canzone. We think the goal of practice is to be something like enlightened. We think we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be impatient. We shouldn't be greedy. Even if we practice regularly, we think we shouldn't be these things. Now, it's nice not to be these things. No one wants to walk around feeling angry all the time. But feeling those things is not the problem. My catastrophe. The English poet, W.H. Auden says, my claim to my own body, my world, it's my catastrophe. Claim implies possession. Suppose there were no claim to anything. The less you claim as your own, the less of such you'll get. If there's no claim, there's no anger or upset.
1: Oh, we have new person just coming, uh. uh i I don't think that's their name right hi uh could you tell us your name would you like to read as well okay that's good thanks for joining
2: kim you can continue
0: just a second uh what Is this where we are, what might we have? Yes, yes. What might we have if we didn't have a catastrophe? We might have a shift, a transformation. But if we want that shift, we want to do the work that goes along with it. And some of that work is dull, unspectacular. It's the same old thing. But if you don't do the work, You have a first rate catastrophe. You can have a lot of money, a lot of this, a lot of that, and you still got a catastrophe. But you may not know it's a catastrophe, but you know that something isn't satisfying and that no amount of staying busy and no amount of money can satisfy you. If you don't stop, You'll always just want more. And when we sit, we can notice what we're grasping. We can notice what we're claiming ownership of. We can learn an awful lot lot from this noticing. When we're not living our life in a way of integrity, we know it. We don't need someone to tell us, but we do need to pay attention. The sense or core of why we're here on Earth is
2: to learn. Oh okay,
1: yeah. Milan just said that she cannot hear, uh, so she will come back. Okay. Uh, the the sense or core of why we're here on earth is to learn, and the, harb- the habit of climbing keeps us from learning as soon as we begin to think, this is mine, and it should be a certain way or it wasn't unfair no it was unfair we begin to feel disappointed if you have no claim to on your body and existence what difference does it make can you imagine a cup of water falling on to the ground and saying it's so unfair (laughs) (laughs) we human beings because we can think and overthink tend to hold tightly to things and when they're and then there are catastrophes. Our ability to think, to ponder, to analyze, to reason, it can be wonderful, but it can also get in the way of us learning and experiencing life. If the cup shatters, it just shattered. That's all.
3: What claim are you making? My catastrophe isn't what somebody did to me, it isn't whether I've been cheated, and it isn't what my lover is saying or doing. It's only my claim that I should be a certain way and that part of my world, including whomever I'm worried about, should be a certain way. We all, without exception, make these claims. As we practice, we just become more aware of them. What is your way of seeing your claim? What are your ways of practicing with this claim on life when you're working, when you're raising children, when you're in any relationship.
4: When I question our claim to our bodies, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying not to take care of our bodies. It's just as if you buy a car. If you want that car to serve you, you certainly have to do certain things to it at intervals. Of course, we have to take care of our bodies and take care of them well, but that's very different from the delusion that we have complete ownership or control over our bodies and the things that happen to them. When we think we are separate from everything else, that there is anything that is just us, unconnected from everyone and everything, there is suffering. Because the nature of things is connection. We may not see that, But the minute we violate that oneness, that is a catastrophe. And we do it all the time.
0: What makes us rigid and fixed is the claim that things have
5: to be. Sorry,
1: I think lens first. I'm sorry.
5: Um, (laughs) What makes us rigid and fixed is the claim that things have to be a certain way, whatever way that is, and that we as individuals have control over how things are. Claim is very possessive. Of course, there is no moment in life that's the same as any other moment. But when we're busy with our claims, we like to get everything fixed so it won't interfere with what we're really doing, which is trying to fulfill our picture of how life is supposed to be. We don't want things to vary from that picture. So what can we do? When we sit or pause, we can watch our claims try to assert themselves. We can start to be aware. The minute there's awareness of the claim, the claim has vanished. Then we can begin to feel an experience, and then we get curious. Sitting in meditation trains your entire being in awareness.
0: Wait, I need I need help. I'm I'm uh, on the wrong page, I think.
1: Um, you're right. Uh, the same old thing is the next book we're reading now.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was Glenn, and now Gail?
1: No, now it's you.
0: Oh, the other day, somebody asked me about the upcoming Sashin. Are you going to have us do something new and different this time? I said, well, I hope not. Sashin is a formal Zen sitting practice retreat. Every day, the sitting can last six to eight hours. Mm -hmm. It's very rigorous. Without being stiff, you try not to move your body, even your tongue, your fingers, or your toes. And it should be the same old thing. Of course, we'd like some excitement, but one of the reasons formal sitting meditation works is because the schedule is monotonous. That enables it to serve you. If you get too fancy about Sashen, if you say too much, it works less well.
1: How does it work when I sit long hours and during whatever I endure? Enjoying whatever I enjoy, but just sitting there. What becomes clear to me is that 99% of what I'm doing is trying to claim the world and my body for myself. These thoughts that burst endlessly, you can call it identification or whatever you want. The, burst, the bursting thoughts support my claim that life should go my way. It should give me no pain, no difficulty, no disappointment nothing that i don't like that's my claim and when Alden says our world he means that part of the world that i think is as mine this usually means that pe- the people close to me my own family my friends sometimes my tower city and for some people my country my claim to own my body and my world is my catastrophe
3: I live in San Diego and when the local football team, the San Diego Chargers got to go to the playoffs one year, the whole city went crazy. There was tooting and noise and people running up and down the streets all night long. I'm a sports fan, so I was excited too. We like to take on something and make it our own. Then we can become very excited about it. What are the Chargers to to most of us? Highly paid professional athletes. If they get offered more money next year, they'll probably go someplace else. I'm not saying that's wrong, but this emotional buildup we put around anything that we've decided desires is our catastrophe.
4: Now, most of the time when we sit, we're seeing our desire for ownership on a smaller scale. We begin to, go to bargain. I'd just get anything if my knee didn't hurt this much. We begin to compare. Does anyone else's knee hurt as much as mine? (laughs) matters less to us than our own suffering. (laughs) What happens in the rest of the world, the famines, the wars, the distress, the living conditions, rarely keeps us up in the middle of the night the way myself, my family, my house, my car, or my whatever does. I'm not saying not to take care of those things. That's not what I'm saying at all.
2: This reminds me (laughs)
1: of the time when I try to sit for like the whole day without contacting anyone. I even see the funeral of my mother during sitting. It's like, what if my mom passed away and they have a funeral and no one can contact me because I
2: fall (laughs) Yeah,
5: The mind will do anything to keep us from meditating. When we sit long hours, then the truth begins to dawn. I like what pleases me, and I don't like what doesn't please me, and that will vary all through the day. Our anger is often about the feeling that something is assaulting some part of the world that I think is mine, my body, my world, my time. When we can sit through the boredom, the pain, or whatever comes up, something happens. It's not that we cease to see things the same way, but it's as though there's now a space around it that doesn't push push at us quite as hard. We soften up, that tight rigidity about holding on, which we have all, which we all have to some degree, loosens a little.
0: Kim. It's not fair. Students tell me about six things have gone wrong today. The weather, my promotion, my kids. I don't get why the world has it in for me. I try hard. The key part is, I don't get why the world has it in for me. This is a variation of the question a lot of students ask. Why does everything go wrong for me?
2: For most of us, life is a personal trauma. Why is it happening to me?
1: I'm a good person. How come? Why is the world doing this to me? With a question like that, the world comes to an end. We block it off. There's no reason. It's just happening. A A major. Oh, go ahead. Go
3: ahead. No, Nancy, please go ahead. That was a short paragraph. That was my mistake.
1: (laughs) A major cause of delusion is that we think the environment causes our reactions. We think we're inevitable. If a certain thing happens, or if somebody is a certain way, we think we must have a particular reaction to it we actually kind of proud of how we react to it. We like our reactions. We think of the world as separate from ourselves. It's the world out there against me. So we try hard and, when it's, and then expect praise or reward. When we don't get it, the world doesn't feel fair.
3: Most people, not all, feel that the problem is their emotions. We have emotional reactions to life as it unfolds. It doesn't suit us. It's not fair. I was already sick. How come I'm sick again? It's not fair. Other people don't have these kinds of problems. It's not fair. The most uncommon saying, the most common saying in the world, it's not fair. My partner, teacher, parent, child, friend, coworker, shouldn't be the way they are. They're not They're not being fair to me. To understand how to work with that, even just to be willing to work with it is not easy. Life is neither fair nor unfair. It's the way it is. However, because we run our life out of emotion, it can feel like getting slapped a lot of the time. Life is hitting us and that hit is the practice point.
4: What afflicts us most are variations on our sense that things are unfair. I don't want to be bothered with the details. It's boring. And I have emotion about all of that, resentment. That's not real emotion. That's just my mind working over time. What would it be like to have a life free of that stuff? I don't know. Nobody is completely free, but there are differences.
5: Think for a moment. What do we do with a sentence like, it's not fair? What do we do with that? Do we even want to do anything with it? We have to give up our whole drama about being a victim of life, being treated unfairly, and therefore being entitled to a lot of things. You may have thought, it's not fair in your relationships. I haven't yet encountered a relationship that's fair. It's not the nature of relationships to be fair. Did you think that we're supposed to be? relationships aren't fair, they're teachers. When a struggle is to make life fair, what does that do to us? What happens? Uh, Kim?
0: Uh, Suppose life circumstances puts you in a place where you have to care for an invalid and this invalid is a difficult person. So there's nothing but difficulty from morning to night. And in mat- no matter what you do, it's not enough. A long ongoing relationship is such a good tre- teacher. <coughs> You're not going to be with this person for just a week. That's why romantic affairs work so well. You know, you just get rid of them before you've been around them too long. A relationship that you can't Just discard when it's no longer easy is the most wonderful teacher. In a long relationship, there are a lot of little things to practice with and little things are what practice is made of. I always say that it's a good idea to practice with smaller things so that when things big come along, comes along, we have some idea of how to practice
1: when we get upset it's not that something is upsetting us it's that we've gotten caught on a little hook the idea that life is not fair in truth nothing upsets us except ourselves when circumstances happen that we don't like we get upset our life narrows we don't see anything or anybody accurately anymore we have tunnel vision In an unhappy relationship, it's rare that either party could think they are the one being unfair. What I think is fair often isn't what someone else could think is fair anyway.
3: It's it's funny that way. It's reasonable to have boundaries and to speak up when something isn't right. Sometimes we have to do battle. But the important thing isn't the description or even the work you do. It's your relationship to the thing you're talking about. When we play with that not fair recording enough, we get stuck. Instead of life expanding, it begins to shut in on us. When you practice with these emotions, they get unstuck. You can say some almost anything to somebody if you don't have any strong emotions behind it. I can't believe the things I say to people, <laughs> but there's no charge behind it particularly so they can hear hear it, it's not so hard.
4: What does it feel
0: like? I have a question. How about um, when we look at a situation like a car plowing through a parade, we think also about that, that it's not fair. and. You know, how does that relate to this, to life being not fair to us? Does it bring upon compassion or does it, how, how do we respond to that?
3: Well, I think that's a good question. Um, I mean, when I heard about it, it, it brought up compassion. What about y'all?
0: Well, it brought up a lot of uh, of a uh, fright for me. Yeah. You know, then I started examining, well, do I ever wanna go out of my house again?
4: Yeah, the, the thing where I get caught is um, thinking that it shouldn't have happened. If I think something shouldn't have happened, I'm bound to suffer. But if I can just notice that that thought isn't necessarily true, then compassion can arise. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like instead of being in resistance to what happened, my heart is more open to, you know, the people who got mowed down and the deluded person plowing into the people, you know, all that. It's, um, it's this whole idea that something shouldn't or should, which is what she's trying to get at here when we want it our way. I think that's where I get hung up worse. And I do that a lot, by the way.
0: I guess I guess, in a sense, it was the same thing when I had that period of time, it was about three weeks when a lot of people I knew died, and I felt they were doing it to me, so there's this aspect of the person plowing through the street that they're actually doing it to me, because I'm the one, fe- I'm feeling emotion about it.
4: Right, and they shouldn't have done that. They to should. me. It's not fair, it's not right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Because now I'm scared to go out in the street because a car might plow me down.
5: Well, that concerns me, Kim, because the odds of you tripping on your furniture and injuring yourself are a lot higher than (laughs) than you getting plowed down by a terrorist, statistically. So definitely don't stay inside. I don't have furniture at all. Glenn, do I need to get a walker? (laughs) (laughs) um be long for any of us the uh well what um what do y'all think a good prompt would be for
4: well are we going to read the last (laughs) we have to read the last paragraph yeah the last paragraph right
5: yeah that's you gail right
4: yeah (laughs) okay maybe we'll find a prompt in it what does it feel like to be freer of the need for control what is our experience when it's not motivated by fear, anger, and guilt? It's terrifying because we have given up all illusions of control. And it's glorious and wonderful to feel the freedom of a truly experienced human life.
3: Well, there are your prompts.
5: <laughs> yeah, that first one was pretty
0: good, huh? Mm-hmm. What, does what does it feel, it feel like? like to be freer of the need for control?
4: Yeah, yeah we, we say we want it, don't we? And yet.
0: <laughs> well, I lost control in a sense when that car, I mean, I, I lost a sense that the world is, is safe. In fact, it was interesting. I, I have a, a really smart niece, um, and she, uh, I said, So, what's your biggest concern in the world? And I mentioned, you know, global warming, um, I- I- Kaya, uh, uh, you know, one thing after another. And she said, it's that I, when I walk down the street, I don't feel safe. I thought that was so interesting because she, she knows one. about all these world hey, problems.
2: <laughs> and
0: and that, that was her biggest um, fear. Or she thought was the biggest problem in her life that she didn't feel safe. So, what does it feel like to be freer? What are you laughing at, Ellen?
3: Laughing at you, but not you, laughing because that's a a very typical female way to go through the world.
4: I'm going to push. Good good call, Ellen.
2: I mean, so,
3: it's you have to work with I mean, you know some women are more afraid than others, but it's definitely something you're aware of and have to work with. Women do. Men do too. I'm sure um, they
5: do. what um how does your ne- how old is your niece, Kim?
0: Oh, she would uh, maybe uh, forty now. this is about 10 years
5: ago oh okay all right well is that a good prompt then what does it uh, feel like to be freer i love that how careful she was there what do you think of the need for control
4: yeah what would it feel like
5: (laughs) what would it feel like what does it feel like
3: yeah or what does it yeah i'm gonna bow out oh all right thank
1: Thank you for coming in Good night, good night. Good night. All right, so uh, let's write for 10 minutes.
2: How's your writing? Anyone would like to share?
4: I'll share a little surprise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So in a word, what would it feel like? I, I wrote the word immediately liberating. And I have a story that goes along with it. But the caveat is, in order for me to not feel like I have to control. I have to confront a fear first because that's what drives all my controlling behaviors. And um, so I had a quick story. I, and I, if I, bear with me if I've told it before, but um, some years ago, my son, uh, he was in his twenties or so. And my husband who is his stepfather were in a terrible argument. Um, this was after I'd begun practicing, um, you know, Zen and, and spiritual practices. And, um, I was afraid that uh, my son who's has mental health issues, that my husband would say something that would trigger him and he'd hurt himself, or I was afraid that my son would lose it, you know, reactivity, you know, and my husband would become so angered that he'd kick him out. You know, it was just, so what I did normally would do is get in the middle of the argument which I've done my whole life in the middle of arguments and you know try to say oh they didn't mean oh you know uh, sit down understand don't yell you know and this time because I've been practicing I turned around and went into the bedroom and sat on the cushion and I could hear them in the other room yelling at each other and I, my heart was beating, I, my, I, I had this tremendous fear, and I just sat with it, I just allowed it to feel in my body, and, and, and then I asked for help, I said, help, I feel overwhelmed, I don't know who am I asking, who am I asking, I asked Flint there once, <laughs> I could say God or Buddha's, you know, throughout all space and time, you know. But I said, help, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm really scared, help. And then I got this voice feeling came in and it said, all is well, all is well. And I felt it and I knew that all was well and I sat there and eventually the arguing stopped in the other room and then I get a knock on the door and my son comes in and he says, I'm leaving to go home now, mom. He gave me a hug, he left. Then I went out of the room and my husband said, what's for dinner? And <laughs> so I hadn't been in the middle of it. And yet somehow it got resolved. And um, that feeling of all is well, all is well. And it, it kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Course of Miracles. I, I do. I belong to a group that does that. And there's a saying in there. uh, One of the quotes from it is, I need do nothing. That's one of the quotes that we... Say it again. I need do nothing. And so this urge to react and to do is actually where we get ourselves, myself, into trouble often. And um, I'm not saying that there isn't a time when that happens. But usually when I'm thinking about it, it's because it's coming from fear you know, and that's, you know, um, that's, that's the issue. So I I journaled a little bit about that. And I can tell you, it felt liberating to know, oh, this was resolved without me. And I was able to meet that uh, intense fear inside, you know, um, which I don't like to feel. I appreciate Joko Beck talking about it. Um, I don't want to feel scared. So I need to control things. You know. So, um, um, and also another thing that helps me is I listened to a meditation by Robert Adams online. I don't know if you know who he was, but he was a disciple of Ramana uh, Maharshi. And he was Western and he was here, but he's dead now. But I found this old antiquated meditation. And in it, all he says over and over, very quietly, is drop it, drop it, <laughs> so there have been a few times when I feel the urge to, to interfere, to change something um, I don't like, and suddenly that meditation will come in, and it'll go, drop it, drop it, so it's, the you know, the, um, the mind becomes obsessed and it's like i told this to peg once and she said oh it's kind of like you know your dog you know drop it (laughs) he's he's got something in his teeth and he doesn't want to let it go and you need him to drop it you know so that's what that meditation does for me and um every time i follow that drop it um everything's it's it's fine it's just fine however it turns out so um Anyway, that's what it all this brought up for me. But yeah, liberating.
1: <laughs> this this reminds me of one of our monks said that just let Dharma do this on. Like we tend to store like we tend to like take control of life and want to like steal the <laughs> the work he used. He said that we, we are on stealing uh dharma job it's like we want things the way that we want while like life works on its own way it's like we plant a tree and it, with the conditions it will grow how it's supposed to go under that condition but then we just we want it to like get faster or something like that and then like we just make us uh, ourselves suffer instead of like really changing much
0: it's really, uh, it's really heavy, this thing that we're holding, isn't it? It affects our whole being. So I'll, I'll read mine. I'm ashamed. I didn't like the car plowing through the crowd because now I don't wanna go outside. I'm ashamed because I wasn't feeling the pain of others, but my own anxiety. It quickly became about me and my pain. How did this so quickly become about me and and about how life is unfair because I don't feel safe? What about those injured who might always carry the trauma and maybe a pain? What about those who were shortchanged on life and those who loved them or those who loved them? And then here's the drawing of uh, what happened.
2: Wow, look great!
0: (laughs) But that was, um, you know, uh, from her reading, I I just realized I made this about me immediately.
4: It's always about us, though. You know, every everything is really about this me.
0: No. Well, let me tell you that this Korean um, Zen nun gave my friend and I this this uh, riddle. And she said, you're you're in a boat and the boat can only carry nine people. But there's 10 people in the boat. What are you going to do? And most people, when they hear that story, they figure out some kind of scheme so that they can stay on the boat. Like they say, well, we'll look at who's the oldest person or who's the sickest person or who's the person with the less skill or who's the person who's sick. Or um, I asked um, who, the guy, uh, Carl, who was my Zen teacher then. And he, sa- he said immediately without a thought, oh, I jump into the water what a wonderful opportunity to save nine people. And I said, Carl, you're such a great teacher. What about all the teaching you could do if you didn't jump in the water? And he said, but that's not now. Now, but he was so, he was almost delighted that he had this opportunity to save people at that moment. And, and I really trusted that it was authentic because he was so quick to say it. There wasn't a moment's thought. It was his immediate reaction. I'll jump in the water and save all those people.
4: Yeah, that's because he wasn't carrying, um, it doesn't sound to me like he was, it wasn't carrying that um, primal fear. Do you, I, Do you understand? Yeah,
0: my react my reaction to the puzzle was I would figure out a scheme so that I would survive. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe I had skills uh, skills in um, if we were, ever came to a desert island or you know some kind of survival skills or or something. I'd figure out some way of doing it. So, <laughs> You so
6: that was interesting. Yes. This this uh, story that you told and uh, that you have been talking about reminded me uh, a phrase that um, this philosophy teacher that is preparing a seminar for the, like, the school where I work told me a few days ago um, in preparation for the class. And he said... Uh, Water we need to understand things like uh, water is more more important is more important than us for example, not to say something so that kept in my mind uh, because we were talking about Western philosophy and stuff like that and how to turn to to non-western thought and he said this and it reminded me what you're talking about because, when we truly understand that water and air or stars or whatever we think is the universe is most important than ourselves, we can probably truly be free. So that's all I want to say. That's
0: a great question. What's more important?
4: Well, the feeling of separation is uh, a feeling that makes you think that there's you and there's everything else and that you're most important. But if you um, ever had uh, a feeling of, you know, what uh, my meme is talking about, of almost like uh, unity and that there is no difference between you and the other, then um, something like uh, Kim's um, teacher, you know, uh, comes to mind. If there is no other, if it's all you and there is no other, then quite naturally, compassion and love flow. Quite naturally.
0: I think it's neat in in a conflict to think about what's most important. You know, is it the relationship or is it resolving this this a problem that you'll forget about in a few minutes, you know, that isn't really that important. Because I'm thinking about someone who's having a conflict right now with some other people. And I think the conflict is not, you know, like they're not focused on their relationship. They're focused on this this problem that really is not as important as the people involved.
2: Do you think your monk
5: friend Kim do 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 you think in the in the in the spontaneity and in and the genu- genuineness and the ease and the speed of his reaction do you think he set up a mental uh, schematic of what what is what is more important or do you think he was reacting out of just a uh, a wisdom closer to what Gail is describing, where, where he is a teacher, and and this is a this is a great and this is teaching, and, or where saving nine people is is the activity is is so. In other words, in in, in if we looked at the Zen product, uh, say that we looked at the Zen precept of generosity. And, and, and seeing through this idea of a gift and a giver and a receiver. So my question is, do you think, do you think that he set up this uh, schematic about what's more important? Or if he, do you think the spontaneous action just arises out of an understanding of this oneness, of, of an understanding that we're all in the same boat and just an automatic reaction to that? I think
0: it was an automatic reaction. It was similar to, to these stories we hear about a soldier who will run out into a field to save his buddy or to save just not even his buddy, but another person.
5: Uh-huh.
0: It's almost like a, a, just a human reaction.
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: how it felt. It was, it, there was no deliberation. Right. That's what was so beautiful about it. Because if there was deliberation, then, they, then maybe he would start feeling, well, this is what I should do, or I'd be a better person if I did this. But it never went there. It was simply, this is an opportunity now that, where I have something that I can do to save people. Right. Right. Well, I had a, a similar experience but it wasn't about giving up my life but a car swerved I was walking with my neighbor and a car swerved around the corner and without thinking I reached over and grabbed him and pulled him away from the corner um you know he he had started across the street or something but it, and it, and it came my action came before any thought but it was similar except that i wasn't risking my life i was just taking care of him but but it was or there was another time when i was dr- drilling a hole in some metal and the drill bit caught on my pant leg and my pant leg started to wrap around yeah, the drill bit yep yep has that happened to you
5: i I've, i know what you're talking about. i
0: have seen it happen to others and so And then I, everything slowed down and I was saying to myself, now, let go of the trigger, but hold on to the drill. And so then I, that came, you know, it was very, time completely changed. And then I, I did that and it was, I didn't get hurt, but, uh, but it's interesting in those situations, how time kind of gets goofed up. Slows down or speeds up.
5: I guess yeah. it slows down. I, I think then when, uh, I think that we're in con- when we're in control mode. Boy, there's so much other mental stuff going on when you're, when you're Mister Controller that you don't have, you just don't, you get in your own way of being able to react with spontaneity and, and, and just that quick compassion. Like if, what if you had been having complex uh, thoughts and attachments about, I don't know, when uh, in your mind, when, when, when your friend, you know, stepped into traffic you were just able to react quickly and grab him and pull him back, right? It wasn't... Uh, control of an issue was the furthest thing from your mind, right? There were no thoughts. There were no thoughts, there yeah. There
0: there wasn't time. And supposedly, we make decisions, our preconscious makes decisions like four-tenths of a second or something before our yeah. conscious mind... Uh knows it so so th- that happened i guess it was a pre-conscious that's how it felt
4: yeah it seems like a more natural way of being um not to be in control mode when i really reflect on it um because control mode is um, pushing itself out into the future to prevent or to do or it's drawing on the past but it's really not in the present you it's know
0: discursive isn't it?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that's why I felt so liberated. It was kind of like, I don't have to do anything the way I used to think I have to do it in order for life, you know, just to flow, (laughs) you know.
0: I was curious with your story, Gail, of whether uh, you affected the conflict
4: yes i did by, by, by I, I totally room. i totally affected it by not being in the middle of it number one so i wasn't contributing my own fear-based frightened nervous anxious energy to the situation and it's like uh, you took
0: a, a log out of the fire
4: yeah I took so that it kind of burned its <laughs> it way down yeah, and um, it was really interesting to me that um, I could use my practice to actually meet my fear. Uh, I mean, I was, it just became very apparent to me. You know how you practice, like she says, for years or months or whatever, and you do you know, not quite sure what you're doing? Well, in that particular instant, I saw where the practice came in, and it, was, it just totally allowed me to um, do something differently. And to um, actually meet the fear that I was feeling in my body, you know, which I've been trying to push away for Mm -hmm. decades. Yeah.
5: Um,
2: Good, good
5: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good time. Do you want to say hello or tell us your name? Are you still with us?
2: Yes he uh, I'm not sure
1: with uh, uh, the agenda, but yeah they're still with us <laughs> but uh good times that um, that they're not comfortable with speaking them. because of the like, second okay. language
4: yeah. okay
0: okay and also because we are recording. Oh I see good time made a comment great.
1: Maybe we can stop recording and um good time can talk.
5: Yeah, do you wanna do that? Good time we, we can pause the recording if you'd like to say hello. Oh I can't do it. Uh
1: Nancy. Uh, yes, I
2: will Nancy do it. <laughs>